We are looking at the Gospel of John this Advent and specifically those sections of John's Gospel and actually one passage will be from the book of Revelation also authored by John uh, at the end of the series. But those passages that are called the I Am sayings, they are Jesus' uh, self-description, if you will, directing people's attention away from the things that they had projected into him or into the idea of Messiah, the Messiah that was created in their own eyes rather than the Messiah who actually was. And what Jesus does in these statements is essentially invite people to take another look, to look deeper, to take off the lenses of their own projections, so to speak, and to to see what is really happening in his life and and in his ministry. And he he makes use of these very concrete metaphors to describe his own identity, to describe the kind of work he does as God's Messiah. And we've looked at two of these metaphors, one the road or the path or the way, hados, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then last week we looked at the very concrete reality of nourishment, the source of nourishment, bread. I'm the bread of life. And as I said in last week's sermon, these metaphors that Jesus uses come in a context very often within John's gospel where he performs some sign, he performs a miracle, and then the metaphor he uses is kind of an explanation of why he did that miracle, what he is and who he is and and what he does. So these sayings come after a sign that he performs. And in John 9, just before John 10, the, the passage that we're reading today, John 9, there's a story, I think one of the funniest stories in the Bible, certainly the funniest story in John's gospel. It's the story of the man who was born blind being healed. And it's full of all sorts of surprises. It's a funny story and almost slapstick because it kind of points at the foolishness on the part of the what I would call the religious aristocracy of the day. Their absolute consternation at Jesus having healed this man who was born blind and healing him on a Sabbath. And they conclude to themselves and to everyone else that Jesus couldn't have done this because no work of God could be done by someone who would choose to do it on the Sabbath and break such an important religious rule. Or they explained it by saying, well, he wasn't ever blind, and they checked this out with his parents. And and then finally they encounter the man who was healed, and he basically says to them, I don't know who this guy is, but all I know is, is I was blind and now I see. And this leads to Jesus' encounter with this religious aristocracy and then his teaching that comes in chapter 10, talking about who he is. And Jesus is essentially saying in John 10, I'm showing you who I am, you're just refusing to see it. And so he raises the question of who is actually blind. Was it the blind man who now sees Or was it those who always saw and can't see him for who he actually is? So we're going to look at John 10, the first 18 verses, the Good Shepherd passage. Very truly, I tell you, 
Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the good shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may see, open our ears, that we might hear and welcome the voice that was implanted in us at the time of creation, and empower us by your Spirit in that recognition of sight and sound to then follow, and to be the people who receive the abundant life that you promise. For we pray in your name. Amen. I'm sure more than once I've told the story, because I love the story so much, of my housemate in, in seminary who came in with an open, thick commentary one night into my room and rubbed his eyes and said, if God had known what we were going to do with the Bible, he never would have given it to us. And one of the things that we do with it quite regularly is that we love, especially in this day and age where sound bites are so important, where we rip something bleeding from its context, whether it be a politician's word in the context of a speech or whether it be a biblical phrase in the context of a much more extended passage, we rip it bleedingly from its context and display it as a kind of sound bite that says it all when in actuality it only says part of what's being said. And one of the greatest hit sound bites 
is in today's passage. It's a great assurance. It is by itself truth, but it's so much more interesting when we set it in its context. It's that passage in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's a saying that's frankly made for bookmarks and bumper stickers and evangelistic tracts. It's the kind of thing that you can reduce to a soundbite and say truth, but it's set in a far more interesting context than just the promise that Jesus is the way. It speaks of good news. It speaks of abundant life, but what comes before and after it tells a a fuller story and the context in which Jesus is saying this, he's not primarily talking about himself, he's talking about himself in comparison to the thieves and the bandits. (laughs) He's talking about himself more in the context of, hey folks, there's a lot of people who should be stewarding your faith in respectfully who are actually asking things of you that are death-dealing. The context of this passage about offering abundant life is the description of thieves and bandits who would take life away. And Jesus, like the prophets before him, spends a good bit of his time talking about the way in which religion can rob us of life. Jesus is addressing the religious of his day and letting them know that they are essentially robbing people of life. He's pointing to them and saying that bandits and thieves jump over the fence and plunder the sheep and all in the name of protecting them, that's what you're doing. But I did something that testifies to life. Yes, I did it on the Sabbath. Yes, I healed this man who was born blind. But you're looking on this, you religious elite, you are looking on this as if it's a bad thing. I'm not leading people astray, is what Jesus is saying, by doing something good on the Sabbath. I brought abundant life to this man. And you would, it seems have preferred him to have remained blind. And that's a problem. And so what John does in telling this story in in the ninth and the 10th chapters of his gospel is essentially say, or put the words in Jesus' mouth, that I'm not leading people astray by doing something good on the Sabbath. I brought abundant life to this man. So who is and who is not seeing here? It isn't the blind man who is blind in this passage. It's you who believe, as Jesus is saying here, it's you who believe you are the only ones who see who are actually the blind ones. That doesn't go over real well with folks. John tells us throughout these two texts that they kept looking for a way to now get rid of him because he was such a fly in the ointment. That is, get rid of Jesus. But what Jesus is saying in this text is, I'm not the crook. 
You are actually the crooks. So take another look at what's going on here. Take a look at what happened with this blind man. Take a look and you will see that actually I am the gate. And I am the shepherd. You'll see the truth of what and who I am. And these are two images that embody and combine really the same ideas that we were talking about in the two previous weeks. They kind of embody and combine that whole notion of the road or the way, access, and bread, nourishment. So Jesus says, I'm first of all the gate. I'm, I'm the road. I'm the means. I'm the access to the place of abundance. I'm the access to the, to the sheepfold. But he also says, and I'm also the gatekeeper. I'm also the one who leads people to the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one whose primary concern is the abundant life of the sheep. And here's the thing, says Jesus. The sheep know who they are in relationship to me. The blind man knows that he sees because I healed him. He knows my voice. And in my voice, he hears an even greater voice, the voice of the the one who made him, the voice of the one who is now welcoming him into eternal and abundant life. It's another invitation to the things Jesus is inviting us all to take up. It's another invitation to those who, at this point, also don't have ears to hear it. But he repeats it nevertheless. And we hear the echoes of the beginning of this gospel where Jesus essentially invites everyone to pay attention. Open your eyes. Come and see. Follow me. Stay with me. Abide with me. Join with me and you will become aware of something that is burning inside of you because it is, as one theologian called it, that God-shaped vacuum in your heart that's meant to be filled with relationship with God. So come and see, follow me, abide with me, and you'll experience that I am the gate and that I am the shepherd who leads you to the gate. So let me show you the way to food and water and protection. Let me be the one who I am. Let me be the good shepherd in your life. What Jesus says in this passage is, is I'm all about life and granting it and imbuing you with it, not about stealing it from you. I'm the way. And in this sense, I am the one who provides direction to the lost. I'm the one who remedies the problem of lostness, of not knowing which way to go. I'm the bread. And in this way, I'm food for the hungry. Hunger is something that we all experience. It's something that we all fear if we can't fill it. But he says, I'm the bread. And I'm the shepherd and the gate because I'm the one providing protection for the vulnerable. I am 
the one who sleeps in the gate. I am the gate itself. I am the shepherd who protects within and outside of the fold. I'm the one calling you out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And you can't read very far in the Bible and not know that the theme of wilderness is a pretty important theme throughout the entire Old Testament and also into the New Testament. It's a really, really important metaphor in the scriptures. Lent is really all about the celebration, the commemoration of wilderness. It's about Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. The wilderness is the place from which God delivers his people into the the promised land. The, The wilderness is the exile from which he redeems and releases them in Babylon. It's an important metaphor in Scripture. And in Hebrew, the word wilderness, as we have it translated into English often, means literally an uninhabited place. And just quite simply, an an uninhabited place. It's identified with desert. It's identified with dryness. It's identified with exposure. It's an unprotected, uncivilized, uninhabited place. There's a children's curriculum that the Episcopalian Church, I think, introduced. It's called Godly Play. It has a a bunch of wooden characters that kids can use to play out Bible stories and to to commemorate them. It's kind of like Montessori learning. But uh, one of the things that if you ask a four-year-old who who has been schooled in Godly Play, the four-year-old will have a very good biblical theology at this point and you will ask them about the desert, about the wilderness, and they will say, yeah, the desert is a very dangerous place. (laughs) It's like a little response that they learn, but they've got it. The desert is a dangerous place. That's what wilderness is in Scripture. It's that place that is uninhabited, unprotected. And the deserted place that's uninhabited, the harsh place that exposes us to the weather, the dangerous place where we're vulnerable to predators and to thieves. It's a metaphor for what it means to to live life in this world very often and wondering where we are going to find that protection, that goodness of community, and just security from, from the elements. But the voice that speaks to us in this place is very profoundly letting us know that he desires to guide us to something better. That's what this passage in John is about. That's what most of the Bible is about, quite frankly. But you see, the voice that speaks to us in this place is letting us know that he desires to guide us to this better thing. And in claiming to be the gate and the good shepherd, Jesus is saying, I came to you in the wilderness and will guide you into the life you were meant to live. And his is a recognizable voice inviting us into this place. 
It applies to the themes in Isaiah 40 that Lina read for us this morning, where in this passage that is so associated with Advent, and it's the beginning of, of George Friedrich Handel's Messiah is used as Isaiah 40. It's that great word about the wilderness beginning to bloom, about a message being given to us in that place that we long to hear and need to hear. And so I want to end with that. Comfort. O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. Yes, the grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. For the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. And he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. Let's pray. Guide us, O Lord, for we are indeed pilgrims in a barren land. Help us to see abundance in places where we want, once saw only want. Guide us with a voice that our ears are tuned to hear and help us to walk in the way that you created us to walk. For we pray in the name of the one who is the way, Jesus Christ. Amen.